What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we get into today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd like to just quickly remind you that you can support the show by heading on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, you can go to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, where you can become a patron and uh, contribute whatever dollar amount you're most comfortable with. There are different tiers, like $3, uh, $10, whatever um, you're most comfortable with. I am cool with it because every little bit helps to keep this show going. Also, if you're an Apple podcast or iTunes listener, I'd love it if you could take a second and leave the show a reading and a review, as it really does help other people find the show and helps the show continue to grow. So do that if you are an Apple podcast or iTunes listener. I'd really appreciate it. Lastly, don't forget to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can get access to all of my previous episodes. Uh, eventually we'll have a store there. Uh, my all, A lot of my writing is there. Um, all kinds of good stuff on the, on that site. So go to chasethomaspodcast.com for all kinds of information on what I'm doing, the podcast and everything else. Um, also, uh, follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chasethomaswriter. And uh, subscribe to the show on any other uh, podcasting platform. If you're not an Apple podcast or iTunes listener, you can also find us on Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, uh, my show will be there. So just search Chase Thomas Podcast and you will find it. All right. That is the end of my monologue. Let's roll. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Matt Chambers of the Falcoholic is here to explain to me how the fuck Steve Sarkeesian is returning as offensive coordinator for the Falcons. No Kiffin. Even Brian Dabble is back in the NFL as an offensive coordinator, replacing Rick Dennison. With the Buffalo Bills, he left Alabama, so all the Alabama offensive coordinators had this new pipeline to the NFL. And, you know, the Falcons had a shot because they had a QB coach opening this offseason, and I was hopeful they would get somebody that, like, would, you know, be appealing as a potential week eight hire, like, promotion guy um, once they inevitably fire Steve Sarkeesian after another lackluster performance to start the season. But, no, Greg Knapp. He's going to be the QB coach returning back to Atlanta for his 37th NFL season as a QB coach or offensive coordinator. Oh, Matt, this all just, it, it bothers me, man. You know, uh, I actually love this conversation now because I think it was two years ago where you had held out hope for Kyle Shanahan. And I think uh. I spent the whole podcast <laughs> explaining why he should be fired. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like we flip positions. I'm. I feel like I, I learned my mistake two years ago, and I'm. I'm ready to. I'm ready to give Sarkisian another. Uh, oh. You know, another run with the offense. 
I thought you were going a different way where you're like, you just trust my judgment on offensive coordinators. And you're like, yeah, why is this guy still offensive coordinator? No, you're just saying that we got to give guys multiple years to figure it out. I, I guess I'm just going the opposite of whatever you say. That's uh, that's the best I can tell. Well, this isn't going well because you're 0 for 1, sir, on Falcons <laughs> offensive coordinators in this podcast. And it's, I got to say, well, I, I don't believe in uh, Steve Sarkeesian as I do uh, or as I did Kyle Shanahan. It's not there. Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Sarkeesian is going to turn into another Kyle Shanahan, and people are going to never be another. Ah, <laughs> uh, which is, I don't know, I, I still, I still can't look back on Shanahan and say, uh, well, you know, he really did his very best for almost the entire season. I'm still, you know, the last, uh, last ten minutes of that season. Don't is, you dare gonna... blame that on Kyle Shanahan. Don't you dare. Oh, I've been blaming that on him for well over a year. Oh, no, that's not on Shanahan. It's on Quinn. He could have stepped in. He's the head coach. He could have pulled the reins in. He could have made adjustments. He could have been like, no, 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 Kyle, I get what you're doing, but we got to reel it in. And he didn't. He didn't override him. He could have. Uh, you know, that's that's fairly true. I think they've, they've actually interviewed other um, other head coaches after that Shanahan disaster. And, um, you know, they... They'd ask him, like, you know, what's what's going on? Can you, like, uh, um, you know, basically tell your other coaches what to do? But um, I think the I, I think the vast majority of them said that, you know, they're they're set on this. You've got a lot of stuff going on in a um, in a game environment, and at a certain point, you have to kind of, you know, trust your coaches, trust your yada yada yada. I mean, I I, I definitely wish he would have um, done something, but it doesn't sound like that's quite common operating or standard operating procedure um, in the NFL. So uh, I, I will back up to Sarkisian a little bit. So would I have been mad if they fire him this off season and they hire, like I thought Daryl Bevel, 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 no. Uh, what? No. no, no. I mean, it's Darren Bevel, but like, that's what you wanted. You wanted Bevel. No, I did not. I don't want to say I wanted him, but he was someone who, uh, who has experience in the same, uh, the same offensive scheme. He had a lot of success. Um, did not he? so much. He did. <laughs> <laughs> there he, were... Like Seahawks fans, I feel like hated him and Top Cable. I guess they hated Cable more, but like I wasn't watching the Seahawks offense and been like, oh wow, Daryl Bevel, offensive genius. I, I wasn't there. Didn't he get fired in Minnesota before he went to Seattle too? And Seattle, by the way, Pete Carroll is not exactly known for picking the best offensive coordinators because I haven't been able to like rant about this on this podcast yet, I don't think, but Schottenheimer is an offensive coordinator in the NFL again. He's already got an opportunity with the Jets. He's already got an opportunity with the Georgia Bulldogs. He's got an opportunity with the, oh, I guess they were the St. Louis Rams at the time. He's really bad. He's oh, wait, is that? Absol- what is that who they hired? Yes, he's their offensive coordinator, and then they hired oh, the Kenyon Junior as DC, who got fired midseason in Oakland. The Seattle Seahawks have had, I guess, it's no longer a quiet bad offseason, and we'll get to the NFC West in a little bit. But like, I just seeing Schottenheimer because they were flirting with like college coaches um, prior to the hiring of Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer, I should say, I think that's his first name, but, uh, he was, I think the QB coach with the Colts before he got this job. And he's just abs like the five yard curls. Like I just, I feel bad for Seahawks fans. I really do. I, I think there's, there's no question that Schottenheimer is a terrible offensive coordinator. Like that's been, 
Like that that's not like a guess where you're like, I don't know, you know, he had a couple good offenses. He has not. He has no. not at any as far as I can remember at any point in his career at all. Um I, I honestly don't know how he got his previous job. Oh, I, know. Than... I got it. His last name is Schottenheimer. Well, well, well. <laughs> you finished my sentence for me. Uh, yeah, so I I don't know who they would have been able to get to. Um, uh... I have a choice for you, who I wanted oh, okay. all offseason for the Falcons. All right. Mike McCoy. Okay. I wanted well, Mike I, McCoy. I wanted I, I him because I didn't think, I, I mean, obviously because I'm a gigantic Lane Kiffin person. I would have loved to bring Lane the Lane train back to the NFL and put him on the sidelines for the Falcons. Like that would just I mean, it would be really cold blooded for him to replace Sarkeesian, but um I would have been here for that. The alternative, <laughs> which was the more realistic alternative. Mike McCoy's just sitting there. Peyton Manning called him like one of the best play callers he's ever played for. Like Mike McCoy got a raw deal in Denver this past year because he was saddled with Trevor Simeon. Paxton Lynch and just a plethora of garbage and he got fired midseason and I mean it, it's not great I, I'm just annoyed by it and then I think I'm still kind of annoyed that they flirted with the Gary Kubiak stuff midseason last year that really bothered me because that would have been absolutely perfect if they were able to talk him out of retirement but I know that's like a health thing as to why he's not coaching in the league anymore but uh, that would have been great my McCoy though would have been cool I think he is just someone I, I've always liked, and I think he's probably one of those dudes who's just better as an offensive coordinator in the NFL than he is as a head coach. And I think he's going to be really good in Arizona. And, you know, Norv Turner would have been a disaster. I don't want him. Brian Dabble, no. Rick Dennison, no thank you. But Mike McCoy would have been in. I just, I don't know how you run it back. I, like, I've given the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a lot of flack for running it back with Mike Smith and Dirk Cutter in 2018. Uh, after their season last year and just like I feel like the only reason that those guys are back is for two reasons one that they couldn't get John Gruden and two <laughs> uh, they beat the Saints late in the season like those are the two reasons that uh, Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith are still roaming the sidelines for Tampa Bay this fall but it just it drives me nuts and the Falcons roster is too talented they're ready to win now they can get back I like I like the Sarke I should say I like the Sarkeesian hire when it happened because it was an outside the box hire. I like getting more college guys in the pro game and you never know like I like Sark at USC. I liked him at Washington. I didn't I just it didn't work. Like watching this team in the red zone is one of the most frustrating things in the world. And I just maybe it'll be better. Maybe it will. But I'm not there and I don't know how you uh could go run it back. And is there, I mean, you know, I've tweeted about this, Matt LaFleur, the way he looked at Matt Ryan two years ago and uh, just the way that Matt Ryan pulled away from Sark last year with my two photos that I posted on my Twitter account that you can follow at Chase Double underscore Thomas, where I displayed the, uh, the friction between the two that uh, is very obvious from the past two seasons. And just Matt LaFleur, he should have been the guy he should have been when he was the QB coach and Shanahan left, but it didn't happen. He followed, or I guess I should not say he followed, but he went to Los Angeles to join Sean McVay's staff. And that would have been perfect. Cause you know, what's going to be really annoying this year, Matt, 
Hmm. Matt LaFleur being awesome and making Marcus Mariota like a really awesome 10-win quarterback in Tennessee this year. That's going to be frustrating. Yeah, that, that, that'll be interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I still have to say, I, I, I do think it was stupid that they let him go to Los Angeles. I think at the very, very least, even if you don't make him the offensive coordinator, like you keep him as quarterback coach because like clearly that worked in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I, I still don't know, I feel like he could be very good because he's been a part of some very good offenses, but he has never been the guy in a lot of these offenses. And a lot of these teams have let Matt LaFleur go when they didn't have to. Uh, Atlanta for one, and then he was, you know, the quote unquote offensive coordinator for Los Angeles last year, but um, he wasn't calling the plays and they, um, you know, and then they let him go to Tennessee. That's not something that teams have to allow at this point. So I don't, I don't know if like part of that's, uh, you know, go develop, get the best job you can get. Or if, uh, you know, if everyone's like, I'm not, I'm not too sold on the floor right now. Um, I mean, I, I, as of this point, I, I wish they would have taken the chance on LaFleur over Sarkeesian, but um, can't really go back on that one now. Hmm. So do you think, honestly, like not, there's no homerism here. Do you think Sarkeesian will actually be better in 2018 than he was last year? Oh, uh, definitely. I will say he will definitely be better. I'm expecting, I'm expecting kind of a similar bounce back. Like, you know, I saw some improvements um, over the course of the year. And I, I really think that like part of it, I mean, you, you really kind of have to like take a step back. Sarkeesian was, um, well, he, he was an offensive assistant. And then I guess he called plays in like that last Bama um, game, an which offensive analyst. Okay, okay. And then uh, I don't understand how any of that's legal or how all that works in college, but he was an offensive analyst and then he got promoted to offensive coordinator like days before because Lane Kiffin had this weird falling out with Saban and then he took the FAU job and left and yeah, all that weird stuff. But yeah. Yeah, that that was pretty awesome. But, um, But so really when you look back at his preparation time, so he made the jump from college to the NFL, and this was already on a shortened season because uh, Atlanta was obviously in the Super Bowl. So he missed out on, would that be, about two months there that guys usually have. And, I mean, I, I really think he spent a while just trying to figure out, like, what was on the roster. And I know he was trying to run Kyle Shanahan's offense, which clearly did not work. Which was um, dumb in, in and of itself. Like, if you're bringing in a new guy like Sarkeesian, it just let him do his own thing. I get that you had success with Shannon's offense, but if you wanted to keep running Shannon's offense, then you promote LaFleur. You don't hire Sarkeesian. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, uh, I, I think fans were told a lot of things that weren't 100% truthful last off season. And, um, you know, it's kind of disappointing when some of that did not come to fruition. And I mean, I, I totally agree with, um, what you're saying, but I will say, I mean, I think Sarkisian, um, I think he was able to improve his play calling throughout the season. It was still, it was still kind of hit or miss, but I mean, um, it's, it's easy to remember kind of falling apart in the Eagles game. But if you go one game before Atlanta was on the road against the Rams who have a great defense and they just, just stacked up points on them. Like mm-hmm. there is, there's definitely some potential there. Um, all, all that was players, a game, and we should give him credit for that because I think all of us, and myself included, I don't know. I, did you think they're going to beat the Rams? Because I was definitely <laughs> one of the people that was blown away by that game. 
I, I was not optimistic. I think um, if I remember right, my prediction was either Atlanta narrowly wins or they lose by like, you know, double digits. And um, I was, I guess I was totally wrong. Even I, mean, to, I uh, literally, after they beat the Rams, I was like, oh my God, this team's going back to the Super Bowl. Because it was one of those things where I was like, the Rams are my Super Bowl team. Uh, once the playoff uh, matchups were set. And because I didn't believe in Nick Foles, which <laughs> that was a, oh man, that's why they pay me the big podcast bucks is because I was not a Nick Foles believer. But um, yeah, I just, I looked at their road to the Super Bowl and I was like, I don't know how this team doesn't get there because if they get Nick Foles and Case Keenum back to back and we get a 1998 Super Bowl, I mean, uh, NFC title game rematch in Minnesota. Oh yeah, I, I'm taking Matt Ryan over Case Keenum every time. Like the Falcons actually had like an amazing road back to the Super Bowl this year and didn't get back. And that's actually kind of always gonna bother me is that they had just Nick Foles and Case Keenum after beating Sean McVay and just that incredible Rams team. And uh yeah, it's really that just like sums up the twenty seventeen Falcons is they beat the Rams on the road in the playoffs and then lose to Nick Foles and one of the most frustrating games I've watched in the playoffs in some time. It was, uh, and then just the post game reaction and the post game quotes, especially from like Malcolm Jenkins and everybody else talking about that final play to Julio in the back corner. And just, it was just a really bizarre season. And that's why I think it's so interesting that you're talking about like Sarkeesian second half adjustments and like getting better and improving. Cause I feel like he left on such a sour note where like Eagles defenders were openly talking about like knowing what was happening before and just, this vanilla aspect to Sarkeesian scheme and just I, I don't know I, I really want to believe in Sark I do because he's a good story and his comeback and everything else I want to believe but I'm not there well you know let, let me take you back to 2015 for a second if I remember correctly two different teams I want to say it was the Minnesota Vikings and the Carolina Panthers um after losses where obviously the offense did not do much uh defenders for both teams said they knew exactly what was coming. They knew what play it was going to be. Uh, and they were calling the offense completely predictable. And, you know, it's like as soon as you get a few of the right pieces and things come together, you can have obviously a pretty big step forward in just one offseason. So I'm um, so I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm completely positive. Like Atlantic returns as like a top five offense. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think if they make one or two right moves in this offseason – and Sarkisian improves, which I feel like at this point he pretty much has to improve. It would be <laughs> it would be pretty bad if he did not. Um, I, I I think uh, I, I think you'll see the offense get uh, way more on track. Can I make a prediction right now? It is sure. March twelfth. I think Sark gets fired before week eight. Hmm. So that's uh, so that's something else I was wondering. So um, so I, I'm not going to say Sarkisian has a guarantee to play out this full season, um, but of course I don't know. <laughs> uh, but but before Atlanta hired their quarterback coach, the hope was mm-hmm. you had someone with some offensive coordinator success. So maybe at the bye week, if things are going really poorly, you can kind of make that transition. And Atlanta did hire somebody. Um, you know, with offensive play calling experience, but he did not have good offensive. He did not. He, he did not do it well. Um, so I don't know if they're going to really go, go back. I'm talking about Greg Knapp right now. I, I, I really hope that's Greg not who because, 
Because if you if you look at the coaches, okay, well, so no, you you have a, you have a couple things like you cannot make the transition to someone not with a team if you're doing it at um, if you're doing it at the bye week. So it has to be someone with the staff. And if you look at the staff, mm-hmm. there is not yeah. anyone else who's. That's why I was so annoyed with the QB coach hiring because that was their shot to like bring somebody in who you could promote to OC if things don't get back on track in the first half of next year. And they did not go outside the box. Like even like Rick Dennison, I think took a running backs coach job uh, with the jets this off season after getting fired from the bills as OC. I just, that would have been better to me. Like I would have taken that or I would have like seen, Oh, what is Greg Grumman doing? Could we pry him away from Baltimore? I, I don't know. Like there's tons of options they could have looked at, but Greg Knapp really, really inspiring to bring Greg Knapp. <laughs> and then again, the Raiders brought back Greg, Greg Olson, another guy, these Oof. Gregs in the NFL. I just, I don't understand how they keep getting jobs. Greg Olson is the offensive coordinator for the Oakland Raiders this year. And I swear he was an NFL 2K5, 2K, was it, was that what it's called with Terrell Owens on the cover? Was it NFL 2K5, ESPN 2K5? Uh, those years would probably be close. I, I couldn't tell you for sure. So I was a huge, I mean, obviously I'm a huge sports nerd, but like, I remember Greg Olson and Greg Knapp being offensive coordinator and um, <laughs> just QB coach options and just their names always appearing. And it just always drove me nuts. Cause I remember I was like 12 at the time and I was like, how are these guys still getting offensive coordinator and QB coach jobs? I'm almost 27. They're still around. I can't do this. <laughs> well, Greg Knapp was it. such a bad hire. I don't maybe, care. Maybe he'll be Atlanta's uh, offensive coordinator just a just a couple weeks into the season. I will say, as far as quarterback coach, like Matt, I want the Falcons to be good. I don't want Greg Knapp to be the offensive coordinator. I, I, I don't want Raheem Morris to be a, the offensive coordinator, and I like Raheem Morris. Like, if I had to actually pick like someone on the Falcon staff right now who's going to be like a really good head coach in his second stint, it's going to be Raheem Morris. But I I don't I don't really know what like. It's so weird, his just the way he jumped around position-wise with his coaching career. Like If you look at his Wikipedia page and you just look at all the different kind of coaching jobs he's had, it's really bizarre, but um, I think he'll be really good in his, when he gets another shot. But I don't know. I don't think they have a great option behind Sark. No, they, they absolutely do not. But I will say Greg Knapp is, he is supremely qualified to be a quarterback's <laughs> coach. Sure. Um, you know he's he's worked under Kubiak, um, which and is I'm, a plus because I would love Greg Kubiak. That's the dream, I think. Yeah, I, I know I know that's a dream for everybody, but like he he does still have a job with Denver, and I think yeah. they're you know I think they're slowly trying to pull him back into um, into coaching. So we're, we're we're not gonna be able to get him coaching, away. For... You think he's gonna be back? I don't think so. I think he sticks with the consultant role. That'd be so weird if he came back at this point. And it know, would be th- doing Vance Joseph really dirty, but I'm not sure Vance Joseph is a good coach anyway. But um, yeah, that's another that's prediction the, uh, on this podcast. Can I do this? All right, let's go. Case Keenum is going to be the next quarterback for the Denver Broncos. God, man, so many bad quarterbacks for Denver. I know, <laughs> but opening day, Case Keenum is under center for the Denver Broncos, barring injury, of course. But that is my prediction. How old do you think Greg Knapp is? Greg Knapp, he's got to be like mid fifties. That is right on the money. Fifty five. Hey, that's that's why you brought me on the podcast, right? To guess, uh, <laughs> guess uh, obscure coaches' ages. 
Do you want to get it? He was the Falcons offensive coordinator in 2004. Yeah, and he was not good at it. No. And he, it's going to happen, man. Matt, he's going to be the <laughs> offensive coordinator for the Falcons in this fall. It's going to be like October, and I'm going to get you back in the podcast, and I'm just going to be like, really? This is where we're at. <laughs> you can, you can, you can pull out clips of, uh, <laughs> you can pull out clips of what I said on, <laughs> I'm expecting Sarkeesian to uh, bounce back, and then you can you can go through like play by play of uh, you know him tossing uh, draws to whoever <laughs> third string running back is. Oh my god! Well, Tevin Coleman's gonna be back. Who is gonna be the third string running back? Uh, you know, I think they're they're bringing what Terrence McGee back, and uh, mm-hmm. why can I not think of uh, little Michael Turner's name? Um, oh, uh, I know who you're talking. Um, what is his name? Oh my god! I'm completely escapes me. He's uh, which is kind of fun. Like he's not a bad football player. Like he's pretty well rounded. When he's gotten the when he's gotten the chance, usually because everyone else is injured, like he looks pretty decent. But you know, in the playoffs, when you need when you need a couple of yards, I don't know why. Um, Taron Ward. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't know. I don't know why you try to get Ward the ball, but I mean, I I feel like people have talked about that play more than enough this offseason. Yeah. I love that we were going to talk. We have so many other things I wanted to touch on, but like we have just spiraled into this Falcons thing because I, I just don't think enough has been said about like the Falcons just running it back and going to see what happens and Greg Knapp and just I, I, we've we've exhausted the Falcons offensive coordinator situation. But I do have a question. Like you're enjoying the um, <laughs> the Saints now. We are recording this on a Monday night uh, as the Saints running out of time to re-sign Drew Brees before he hits free agency. How much are you enjoying the possibility of Drew Brees becoming a Minnesota Viking? Whew. So I, I mentioned this to somebody else today and they were like, they were like, I'm not even going to think about it until something real actually happens. And I'm like, no, no, no. Let me enjoy this possibility just for a little bit because this is, this would be so fantastic. And this would be, this would be like pure saints just, just a pure Saints move. Like it, it kind of reminds me. Like like Jimmy Graham is available again, and currently the Saints they they quickly and easily paid Kobe Fleener way too much money to be tight end, and yeah. they had this long drawn out um, thing with Jimmy Graham where they were not gonna pay him money, and it got like very um, you know it got very shitty between them, and then um, they obviously traded him to Seattle, and it, it would just it. It's just funny that they picked they picked a much worse player and they were just like, oh yeah, we'll, just, we'll give you all that money Jimmy Graham asked for and we're gonna get rid of Jimmy Graham because that that makes total sense and uh, Fleeter has obviously sucked and you know they're looking for another tight end so it would be great if they take their best player the last um, how many years has he been in New Orleans like we got to be close to like 14, 15 years something I like mean, that. I mean, he's the best player in New Orleans history, right? I I think that's a very safe. He won the I think Super a very Bowl. Safe I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I feel like Drew Brees is the best Saint of all time, right? That's not crazy. No, I mean, that's that's not a crazy statement. I don't think anyone would say, "Whoa, well, obviously not." Um, yeah. But it would be great if they just, you know, <laughs> if, if if their stupid contract negotiations just <laughs> took way too long because they didn't want to <laughs> give him enough money, and he ends up finishing his career in like Minnesota or something, making that amount of money and they're stuck with uh i don't know i i don't even know who they have on the roster right now like they could have i mean they would draft somebody if they let 
Drew Brees walk, they're drafting someone in the first round. Okay, they're drafting someone in the first round. The Saints are picking very late in the yeah. in the draft, so well, it's Lamar not Jackson late. has been linked to them, right? Like I've seen a lot of people like love the idea of pairing Lamar Jackson with Sean Payton, and he'll probably be there in the late first round. Uh, he could be. I, I, I've seen people say that, but I, I feel like that's not. Um, I, I feel like there, there's this, uh, there, there's like a path every offseason where it's like early on, they're like, okay, no one is worth, n- none of these quarterbacks are worth like a top five pick. And then like six weeks later, they've got like three quarterbacks in the top five. And then there's always like these other very qualified quarterbacks who are, who they're saying like, oh, my draft to the second round or something. And by the time the draft rolls around, these guys are taking, you know, they're being um, snatched up in like the top 10. It. I feel like it happens everywhere, every year. Because like last year, no one was—I don't think anyone was expecting what Patrick Mahone's to go um, as high as he did, and um, what Deshaun Watson went very high with a lot of like question marks around him, which seemed pretty stupid. So um, I'm maybe this is just me being optimistic on like Sarkisian. I'm just going to be optimistic that Lamar Jackson is not going to fall all the way into uh, New Orleans' lap and. <laughs> have some insane rookie year with them that would that would be very bad but uh if that does happen i am gonna enjoy the whole period of time of them not having drew Brees because it's gonna feel great i want to say two parts here one i love lamar jackson and the stuff that he's already been put through in this pre-draft process has already driven me insane so i want him to fall because guess what? Better teams are picking at the end of the first round. So I want him to go to a better team that's not going to ruin him and do something weird. My pick for Lamar, this whole process, I will keep banging this wooden table that we're recording this podcast on. I want him in Baltimore. I want him replacing Joe Flacco. I want Lamar Jackson on the Ravens. Great defense, great running game without Collins, good offensive line. Like That's where I want him. But uh, we'll see if he can get there. Get Marty Morningweg, Greg Roman, who has experience with guys like Lamar, with Colin Kaepernick back in San Francisco, and Alex Smith, and guys like that. That's what I want. Uh, but I also think Sean Payton would figure out a way to maximize Lamar Jackson. So I just want him to be fun because he's he would be good for the NFL, and I don't want him to bust because if he's good, the NFL is more fun. And uh, it's the same thing with Menzel and everybody else, where it's like not everyone has to be like Tom Brady-like and Matt Ryan-like. I, I love those guys, but at the same time, I like having a variety. And I want to see Lamar Jackson go to the right team. And uh, that's why I'm hoping he falls in the first round because I want to see him on a good team. So it's the same reason I want Teddy Bridgewater to go to a good team. And it's the same reason that um, I think I might have a fascination for Louisville quarterbacks. And I didn't realize it to this point, but I don't remember growing up and being like Brian Brom, he needs to go to the right team. I don't like him on the Packers. I don't remember those thoughts, but I guess it could have happened. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I remember uh, Brian Brom was a very popular prospect with Falcons yeah. fans after they signed Bobby Petrino. I think my uh, oh, uh, this this was could he this be was an offensive a lo- coordinator option midseason if he gets fired from Louisville. I mean, they fired Petino. Could there be some more shenanigans with Petrino? It seems unlikely because he is a stand-up, classy guy. But what we talk about a redemption story. Let's get Petrino back in. Offensive coordinator for the Falcons saves them midseason, week eight. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I'm still I'm still very salty about this. Um, okay. As I remember this timeline, uh, I had season tickets that year, and I think it was a Monday night game against the uh, – this was in Atlanta. No, 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 I'm saying, like, where were your seats? 
Oh, um, uh, man, I was, uh, I was not quite the, I was probably like around like the 10 or 15 yard line mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the first row. So like pretty, like pretty good vantage point. But then when it's on the other side of the field, you're kind of just guessing, um, you know, if yeah. someone's going to touch well, it or not. I ask is because like football, I feel like it's the hardest thing to find the right seats for, because like basketball, I love, I have spots where I love to sit baseball. I've absolutely maximized where i sit like i i know where to go i know where to sit like third baseline every time love being on the third baseline everything i can see and just it's perfect like i if i could go to any sporting event in my lifetime i'm sitting on the third baseline of a professional baseball game it's the most fun great view everything else hockey also another sport that i've maximized and figured out where to sit football still haven't figured it out i'm not sure there's like the right place to sit at a football game where you can get everything and see what's going on everywhere i'm not sure it exists yeah i feel like the field's kind of too big where you're kind of yeah i don't know nothing's really going to compare to um you know the 30 cameras fox has uh Mm -hmm. swirling around in games but back to your point on petrino and the falcons and having season tickets that year oh yeah that's right um so if if I remember right, it was a Monday night game against the Saints, and Atlanta had shown like they they showed a little something something, and then there was just there there was just super confusing like play call like a bunch of nonsense, and you know we spent the whole night being like, man, what what the hell what the hell was he doing? Like none of this makes any sense, and I realized like. Oh yeah, he's trying to figure out like you know did I did I pack up the right shoes for this press conference because because <laughs> uh, literally the next day so this was a Monday night game so he's out of there at like uh, what eleven o'clock and I got home from I got home from school or something and it was probably like five o'clock flip on Sports Center and I read it as Bobby, Bobby Petrino resigns with Atlanta and I was like why would they extend him now he has four and a half years and this is a bad <laughs> season and then he's in. He's already in Arkansas, and I was like, I was like, no fucking way. That's I don't, I don't think you can't you can't come back from that. It's just it's just impossible. Even though he did come back to Louisville, but hopefully we don't we don't stoop to that level. And I mean, he had a whole motorcycle incident. Like Bobby Trino has like at least nine lives. Yeah, uh, he's got at least uh, he's got multiple football lives. That's for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Um. What do you make of Ricardo Allen getting, I think, what did he get, a second-round tender today from the Falcons? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, uh, I mean, I think we're, we were always pretty positive he was going to make his way back this season. I like him I, I was, a lot. I do, too. Um, so, this, so the team has a little bit of a problem now because this has never come up before for as long as I've been watching the Falcons, but they've been drafting so well they're not going to be able to afford everybody. Yeah. Um, so I've seen some talk about, um, you know, about trying to extend them. But when you look at all the other players who are coming up soon, who don't have potential backups, because you have, um, what, uh, DeMonte Casey, who looks, uh, who, who's looked pretty good. I think this year they're going to have him competing at nickel quarter and also, you know, backing up at free safety. Like he, he's a guy with, uh, uh, I think he's a good value pick they got last year. I think in the fifth round, he's a speedy dude who could potentially fill in for Allen. But if you look at all these all these other guys, you've got Grady Jarrett coming up. We have no other defensive tackles outside of Grady Jarrett. Um, who else That's is coming up? Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I think he 
Yeah, no, he, he got arrested for selling weed. Um, Is that true? A little after he retired. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> what about Glenn I, Dorsey? What What's Glenn Dorsey up to? Oh, I wish I knew. I wish he was on this team. I feel like he's still better than uh, um, half the people still on this roster. But um, yeah, uh, so I mean, Grady Jarrett's obviously the big one. But then you're gonna have you're gonna have a number of these guys coming up soon. Um, you're gonna have Deion Jones. Uh, Matt Ryan obviously needs an extension. Um, I'm trying to think of everybody. Coleman. I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to afford Coleman, but you're, yeah. you're going to get in this log jam in about, in probably in about two years, where you're like, I don't know if we can pay Deion Jones as a top. I mean, he if he keeps playing like this, probably like a top linebacker, um, like a top linebacker deal. Grady Jarrett is going to get paid, and I think he's got to get paid in Atlanta. Um, you'll, you'll have Vic Beasley, but I mean, he still he still has a few years. Um, to go, but then you're going to have Devondre Campbell, Austin Hooper could be a potential guy, and like really just based on based on their numbers, it's going to start getting tight. And I I really hope they find a way to keep Ricardo Allen. I just I just honestly don't know how they do that without um, letting another super important defensive player go. Do they have a backup for him right now? I feel like they don't. They don't have uh, his replacement for Allen. Yeah. No, uh, Demonte KZ. They drafted him last year. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, like, are do you think they would be comfortable inserting him into Allen's spot if he were to sign elsewhere and just take the pick? Oh, oh, you mean this year? Ooh, that's yeah. a good question. Um, man, a second round pick would be really useful for this team. Uh, would they like? Would they do that? Would they be like, all right, we we're just? I mean, we're getting the second round pick, but I don't know. Losing him, it'd be tough, but. For the second round pick, yeah, I, it's tough. I, I don't really know what the right answer is there. Uh, you know, I feel like you would. I feel like if they already know what they're going to do, if they were already saying, you know, I don't, I don't know if we can keep him, and a second round pick pops up, I, I think you could put in. I, I, I think you could replace him, knowing it's obviously going to be a step down because, um, uh, you know, Allen's really just playing lights out. Like he, he's been. He's been great, but I mean, you can take a step down for a second round pick and not having to pay out uh, uh, probably like a top. Oh, he's probably going to get like top three, maybe top five safety money. Like he really has been that good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I my gut tells me they're not. He's not going to be on the Falcons long term. I think Ricardo Allen's going to be one of like what you're talking about, where they have just so many people coming up to get paid that Ricardo Allen's just going to be one of the fall guys where he is going to either get traded or sign elsewhere soon or rather than later. I, I don't think he's long for this team. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, if, uh, if he does leave in free agency next year, uh, I think he would net Atlanta a pretty solid comp pick. So, you yeah. know, probably, probably like a fourth rounder or something like that, which is, um, it's a pretty good return investment on, uh, you know, they took, Ricardo, I think at the end of the fifth. So you know, it'd be an upgrade, and you get uh, get plenty of years of great play from him. So no complaints if that's what happens. The Panthers, man, they're um, Marty Herney. After one of the weirdest off seasons ever, they're still looking for a new owner, which isn't being talked about enough. As like this is, they're this franchise in such a weird spot, like. They need receivers. Cam was down to like, just, it was, 
it was intentional malice at that point uh, after Bird went down for him late in the season. I, I just could not believe how barren that wide receiver core was for the Panthers come playoff time. And they Cam still almost beat the Saints in the road. And not to take a victory lap on my own podcast, but if you go back to this September episode where I talked to Canal Street Chronicles, which is a rival of your thefalcoholic.com Wait, just on question who, who did you talk to from uh from there that is a good question off the top of my head um i don't remember off the top of my head i can look this is not great that i don't remember i talked to a lot of people matt and um i, I, I was just curious because they have <laughs> they have a lot of characters over there mm-hmm. i don't know and if that's... it's like a set like you're leaving something out there um but anyway, there's a lot of on very that podcast, um, on that particular podcast, <laughs> okay, I said the Saints were my pick to win the NFC South this year, and I you can check the record. Still me, I had it. It was good, and uh, felt great about it. So, um, yeah, my only hesitation was their linebacking core, which turned out to not be that bad because Manateo turned back the clock for whatever reason, and uh, they survived. But anyway, the Panthers, Marty Herney, back full power, but we don't know because they're going to sell this team and now there's all these different bidders getting in play and like we don't know who's going to own this team six months from now. And whenever you get new ownership, that makes everything just – it uh, puts everything into a state of flux. So I, I don't know what to make of this team and I don't know what to make of their future. And Marty Herney, we, we know what he's done. Like we know the Charles Johnson deals. We know his history of trading for like, was it Armani Robinson or what was his name? Armani Edwards. The yeah. Yeah. The, uh, he traded quarterback him, right? Did have a first round pick for him. He's just, he gets a bunch of credit because he was the guy who drafted Cam Newton number one overall, but he's not a good general manager <laughs> and no, he's, he's back in power. But at the same time, he's making win-now moves, and this roster needs that because Cam is in his prime, and they kind of need to, and they're letting Jonathan Stewart walk and everything else. But they traded for Torrey Smith, and he's going to help the Panthers a lot, I think, next year because they didn't have a deep threat um, without Ted Ginn and, like, Devin Funches's just really slow and Kelvin Benjamin very slow and just Paul uh not Paul Bird what was his name Paul Bird is a pitcher for the Braves I think a couple years ago but uh something Bird uh Demetrius Bird maybe I don't know uh they, they, they had some random bird who was you know what I'm talking about right little player. guy really small he was like Justin Hardy and Taylor Gabriel-ish he was their Taylor Gabriel who um shot Taylor Gabriel for a great Falcon career but uh he has moved on and uh <laughs> it's over <laughs> it is over but um I think the Panthers, like, I think two things can be true. I think one, they're going to be really good next year. And I also think I'm really dubious about their five-year trajectory. And a lot of that has to be uh, going with their ownership situation. And also, I don't think Marty here needs a good GM, but I also think he's good at winning now because he did guide a team to the Super Bowl because he makes a lot of short-sighted moves. That makes the NFC South even more interesting because he's going to get Cam a bunch of help right now, even if it sacrifices their future before he gets fired and the new owner brings in his own guy. I, I am just really fascinated by what's going to happen to the Panthers in the next couple of years because I think they're going to be really good over a two-year stretch and then just be a dumpster fire and a, just an absolutely barren, awful roster 
in a couple of years. That's where I'm at with them. It, is that fair? And I'm not even going to talk about the Bucks because until the Bucks clean house and just make actual adjustments to their team and just I, what they did to Dirk Cutter, I will say, just felt really gross. Just the whole John Gruden stuff and the celebration and making no qualms about like if we were able to offer what the Raiders offered or he had accepted us, we would have fired Dirk Cutter. Like they were talking to John Gruden while they still had a head coach. It, I, I just don't like that. It, it felt wrong. But anyway, the Bucks, I they're going to be last in the NFC South again next year. And Dirk Cutter is going to be fired by week six. And Mike Smith will be coaching the, the Bucks on the sidelines by the end of next year. That is my prediction. But yeah, that the NFC South. I don't think it's going to be as competitive and crazy as it was this past year, but I do think the Panthers are like my most interesting team over the next year stretch because I could see them both falling off the face of the earth and also in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you really covered all three teams. Um, I do wonder if, so if Mike Smith is coaching Tampa Bay by week six, who's coaching that team at the end of the year? Because I don't think Mike Smith has the coaching chops to make it 10 games. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I think you're spot on with the, with the Panthers. Their new slash old GM is not good at his job. I, I'm still confused how he got his old job. Uh, that seemed like just uh, – it seemed like the team just completely bungled it. And he got – you know, he got his old job back just because he was friends with uh, Jerry Richardson, which is obvious. Well, <laughs> who doesn't own the team anymore? Um it was Ryan Berger, so, by the way. Just uh, like I just went back through my uh, archives. It was Ryan Berger of uh, Straight Chronicles. Great guy. I don't, I don't know if I know him, so maybe. All right. Well, great. Good for him. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the Panthers. I just i i don't see i i don't see them doing enough to keep a competitive team. Like I i feel like at least the past couple off seasons, it's like they clearly have these big needs. So um, was that two years ago they had franchised Josh Norman mm-hmm. and then he was apparently not going to take whatever sort of money um, they were offering him. So they rescinded it and he became a free agent. And then instead of like getting people to replace him, they like sort of added a few rookie quarters. Um, I think probably like the mid rounds or something like not, uh, nothing too much, and like they've they've had offensive line trouble for a while, and like I guess the best they've been been able to do is um, what bring in uh Matt Khalil's brother, right? No, oh, yeah. no, what's Matt Khalil? It's uh Ryan Khalil's brother, who is also Matt and Ryan, right? Yes. So so Matt Khalil, uh, so Ryan Khalil, he's a really good center. Matt Khalil is objectively terrible at his job, yes. and they paid him fifty five million dollars. Um, and I believe being a left tackle is very important in professional football and just football in general. You know, I, I feel like it's easier when your quarterback is like six foot six and 260 pounds with like four, four. I don't think it is because he got his brains beat in, um, in the NFC wildcard game. Like, and we saw the fallout from that, but no, I don't think it's been easy for Cam Newton playing behind this offensive line in this wide receiver group. I, I would oh, say, I was saying it's, it's easier for Matt Khalil because they're like, yeah, you know, he gave up a lot of pressures, but not many sacks. And you're like, yeah, that's well, true. That's, <laughs> that's good. That's great for him because Cam Newton's <laughs> able to just bust out of like so many guaranteed sacks. Yeah. It would be way worse if Jimmy Clausen was under center for this team, I would say. 
Oh man, I wish it was still Jimmy Clausen. I I kind of loved when they picked Jimmy Clausen because he was such a hateable guy. Like I really kind of hate when uh, you know when someone drafts a player I like or like a player who's fun to watch. Like when Cam Newton was having his MVP season, mm-hmm. that was very tough to watch as an Atlanta fan. You're like, man, I wish he was in like if he was in Miami right now. I'd be like, I could I could fully enjoy this because like he's playing great football. Um, but when it goes to a team you're rooting against, it's, uh, it, it gets a lot tougher, but yeah, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what Carolina does in this draft, but it doesn't seem like they're going to be players in free agency. And I don't, I, I don't think they've got enough draft picks to kind of retool all their problems. And I, I don't see that changing with their new GM. Well, I mean, they're going to franchise Graham Gano, So, you know, they're, they're in it to win it in 2018. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's. I, I like that they're that they're able to do that. But then, uh, Andrew, I, I know we're talking about different levels of money, but Andrew Norwell, like, definitely one of like the best young guards in the league. They just have to, uh, they just have to let walk. They're gearing up for trading up for Quentin Nelson in the draft. Marty Herney is going to give up seventeen future first round picks to trade <laughs> into the top five to draft a guard. <laughs> That's the plan. Well, you know, they, they, they didn't take a, they didn't take a running the back. Panthers, I think they're going to win the NFC South next year. That I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's another prediction. March 12th, the Panthers are winning the NFC South next year. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it seems like New Orleans the won't have Drew Brees. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> oh, God. I, I keep forgetting what happened in this offseason. I forgot North Turner. Oof. How could Ooh. you forget? Greg Knapp got another job. Greg Olson, Norv Turner, Brian Schottenheimer. This was the offseason for the career resurgences for guys that we've seen enough of, but for some reason, teams just keep bringing back. Yeah, for t- terrible, flamed-out coaches. That's that's great. It's, uh... I, oof. <laughs> I really do think this team's going to win the NFC South next year, but we'll see. Um... The most interesting team, I think, right now for me is the Miami Dolphins because I don't really understand what's going on there. There's been takes from the ringers, Mike Lombardi, about their culture change. Um, they're only saving $3 million by cutting Nick Domkin Sue, which I believe is official as of today. Um, he was the highest paid defender in football this past year. They traded Jarvis Landry. Like, Obviously, they're going through some changes, but at the same time, they still have a veteran quarterback who's ready to win now and Ryan Tannehill, who Adam Gase very much loves, and he's trading away a lot of guys. And it's not like Sue wasn't good, and Jarvis Landry wasn't good for this Dolphins team last year. Like, those guys weren't the problem. The problem was Jay Cutler was their quarterback for all of last year. And I just, I don't really understand what they're doing. And I mean, they cut Lawrence Timmons, I think, today, too. Like, they're obviously making some huge changes, but I just, I don't know. This team is just really weird. I don't know where they're going. I don't know if they're rebuilding. I don't know if they're still going for it and are going to be active in free agency now that they've freed up some space. I don't know if they're going to be really aggressive in the draft. I I don't know what their game plan is. I think it's really interesting because I'm definitely an Adam Gase guy, but they have a bunch of pieces in that front office. They have Tannenbaum. They have the guy from the Pats whose name is blanking me right now. I'm not sure who it was, but Chris Greer, maybe something like that. Greer, something Greer. Greer. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I feel like that's a, it's a, it's a crowded front office and it's tough because I like 
a lot. I, I just look at their coaching staff. I look at the front office makeup. I look at just, I think Tannehill can be serviceable and fine with someone like Adam Gase. And I've liked Adam Gase wherever he's been. Like they have a great defensive coordinator. Like it's just so weird. I can't get a great read on the Dolphins. Where are you at with this team and what they're doing already? Uh, you know, this feels like what a lot of teams are consistently doing, which is you're just consistently underperforming and then you're just kind of stuck trying to make some moves out of it. So uh, I, I think this is kind of what happens when you've got an owner who's a little too far into the football operations. Um, I mean, really, at a certain point. So, like, I mean, if, if you look at Arthur Blank, like, he's not really in on football operations because I think he, you know, I think he's realized, like, you know, he's kind of like the face of the, a little bit like the, the face of the team and he's the money guy, but he's let, um, I, I think he's finally started to let, you know, the football guys make the football decisions. I don't think that's true in Miami. I don't think that's true for a lot of teams. And that's kind of why Miami gets, you know, you can kind of talk about them the last uh, decade or two, the same sentences, like the New York Jets or something, where it's like they're, you never really know exactly what the Jets are doing. Like, sometimes they, they can be a little bit more competitive, and then uh, and then it's like, boom, um, you know, this big-name player is gone. There's this move that doesn't make sense. They're finding some other guy and paying him way too much money to um, come in, kind of like, Sue, well, I, I don't know. Sue might have been worth that deal. Um, I, I know they didn't get any cap relief, but I mean, it also could have been just the owner looking down and saying, you know, he's looking at when Sue um, Sue was owed some money, and he's like, I don't really want to cut him a twenty million dollar check for next year when I could probably just not spend that money. And that, I mean, that that, that really that, that's the best I can think of. He's gonna be a um, patriot, right? Like Sue's going to the Pats. They, I mean, they did just trade for Danny Shelton, so maybe that crowds their defensive line. You know, uh, where does he fit? Like, where? What team would he just like? You just know, like, going from the Dolphins to whoever, he's just going to have this huge bump and be awesome. Uh, I mean, honestly, Sue could go to any team and be impressive. Like he, you could put him on. I think you could put him on any defense, and he would immediately upgrade. Um, Every single team, like I would have, I would have no qualms about putting him anywhere. Um, oh, I know, I know where he goes. I got it. The Niners, they still have a lot more money to spend. Just keep adding to that front seven. They have a young front seven. Um, yeah, that's where. It let, is. Let, let me throw a terrible option out at you. All right, ready. So we, you know, that Mike Smith loves. Oh no, veteran defensive players. He loves defensive tackles more than any other position. On an entire defense, Tampa has a ton of money, and they got to win now. So I think it depends on if Sue wants to go to a winner or if he just wants to get paid again. Um, and I think if he wants to go get paid again, he could definitely go to Tampa. And I'm sure I'm sure Mike Smith would love to have him drop into coverage way too many times throughout the season, and just you know really piss off Tampa fans. Like it, it, it that feels like something that could happen. Oh my god, I don't I don't like this at all. Sue's <laughs> fun. He's I don't. It's just the Dolphins are in such a weird spot because the Bills just made the playoffs for the first time in seventy three years. The Jets still have this blank slate, and it doesn't look like they're going to get Cousins. And I'm still 
pretty dubious and uh, just what the Jets' future is and if they're going to stick with this long-term rebuild in New York. We'll see. Um, they have a lot of spots to fill. Like It's great that they have two great safeties, but I think they're going to need a little bit more to kind of push the Patriots or the Bills in the next couple of years, but we'll see. And uh, I don't know. I just The Dolphins, like, just two years ago, they were so good, so fun. I, what were they, 10 wins? Did they go 10 and 6 with Tannehill before? Um, and year one with Gase. And it was like an overachievement where you're like, okay, yeah, Gase. Case can do this, and they had a lot of talent, everything else. But I love the Tunsil pick when they get drafted him late. Like it, this team has a lot of talent, and I I don't think trading Landry is that big of a deal because I think Devontae. I'm still really high on Devontae Parker. I'm not leaving my Devontae Parker Island. Kenny Stills is good. Uh, I think they cut Julius Thomas, or they plan to. So yeah, they're they're, they're going to cut him. I think they. But um, like, if you look I, at the I, back, I did see that earlier. Guess is their running back right now? Starting running back. As of today, who would you guess that is? Um, I think that's still Jay uh, Ajayi, right? No, Jay Ajayi oh. went to the Eagles mid-season last year. Oh no, no, no! Oh, um, 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 wait, wait, wait. Um, ah, I, I can't think of his name. I think I'm mixing him up with Jay Ajayi. Damian Williams. Oh, I had I had him deep on my fantasy bench, just waiting for him to <laughs> blow up, and uh, it did not it did not work out well for me. It's just such a weird team. I I don't know what to make of them. If I had to like do one through thirty two of like rank who I have the best read on, who I just feel just really uncomfortable, just even trying to evaluate at this point, I think the most uncomfortable would be the Dolphins. I like it wouldn't surprise me if they drafted a quarterback and traded up for one and replaced Daniel. They didn't believe that he was going to be the same guy after his ACL injury and things like that. But I, I just, I'm not sure if they're rebuilding or they're still believing that they can get to 10 wins again next year and make the playoffs and go on a little run. I, I don't know. I'm going to stick with my thoughts of them. Just, you know, right. They're just turning. Okay. It, it just, makes sense. That is the Dolphins way. Constant, constant churning. I mean, a lot, a lot of these teams do this. Like, the the Browns are always rebuilding. Like I don't think there's a there there's never a time where they're improving. They're all they're always cutting uh they're always cutting the guys they signed two years beforehand and um they're it's it's just a constant churn of uh yeah, a constant churn of mediocrity. <laughs> I wouldn't even that's being generous. The Browns have not been a constant churn of mediocrity because that's they've been a constant churn of absolute shittiness. That's what they've been because mediocrity is like the turn of mediocrity. I would say in the NFL has been like the Cardinals where it's like you, everybody buys into like people forget how quickly that fell apart for them. And uh, this is a good transition to the NFC West. The last thing I want to talk about, like the Cardinals were a lot of people's Super Bowl picks last year coming into the year because of what we saw from Carson Palmer a few years ago and it just fell off the cliff. And then David Johnson got hurt and everything else. But like, this Cardinals team is still ready to win now. And um, they've just been on this like worst case scenario, seven wins every year. As long as Bruce Arians is coaching this team, they're winning at least seven games. Drew Stanton, whoever, Ryan Finley. I don't even know all the quarterbacks that have been under center for the Cardinals over the last like five years, but it's not been great. And they still find ways. Blaine Gabbert was quarterback for most of last year. I just, I can't get behind that. But anyway, the NFC West is 
changing. Bill Barnwell had this great piece on the end of an era with the Seahawks with Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett going away and that just not having the replacements because John Schneider has been a low key, horrible drafter over the last four years and they have nobody waiting in the wings to replace Sherman. They have nobody ready to replace Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill's career is probably over and they're going to have to pay Shelton Richardson a lot of money who was good for them, but um, they just have missed on so many guys in the last couple of years in the draft. And they're in a tough spot because Pete Carroll and John Schneider, not only are not drafting well, they are making absolutely terrible decisions as uh, to lead their team offensively with uh, the hire of Brian Schottheimer. So not great there. Um, they let go Alex Collins, who turned out to be a superstar in Baltimore last year off the practice squad. Uh, they can't get a running back to stay healthy or pan out like CJ Procise, who I liked a lot. Can't stay healthy. Uh, Eddie Lacy. Dumpster fire gone. Oh, I forgot Eddie Lacy went there last year too. Christian um, Michael they drafted, I think, in like round two. Didn't work out. Um is he out yeah, of league I, now? I, had, I think he's out of league. He should be. I had high hopes for him because um uh I, I think they had said that he had like the same physical characteristics of Adrian Peterson. He just not put it together and I I held on to him as a like uh as a keeper in one of my fantasy football leagues for I think two. I think after like two and a half seasons, I finally gave up on him because I was I was just waiting for it. I was like, oh man, as soon as any Lacy uh, goes down or something, it's all going to be the Christine Michael show, and I'm going to be winning this league. And I've lost pretty consistently in that league, um, at least in part of that. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, actually, it's it's kind of funny to think about. Probably like four or five years ago, everyone had been talking up uh, John Snyder is just like you know, one of the best, most aggressive GMs in the league. And I think that really kind of goes to show you how much like one, like uh, admittedly amazing draft can make it seem like you're one of the very best in the league. And then just, you know, when, when you get Russell Wilson, you're Richard Sherman, um, and you're getting Earl Thomas, like all the same draft, like that's an amazing haul. And then next year you are trading a first round pick for Percy Harvin. Things are not going as well for you um after that and it's it's just kind of it's just kind of interesting to see how how quickly a team can go from uh you know go go from just a juggernaut into um you know just uh just another team in a few years and it's like just think about this team if they did not have russell wilson we would be looking at them at this point as like a three and 13 team but because they have wilson who was a legitimate mvp candidate last year it's hard for me to write them off as not a contender in the NFC West, even with Schottenheimer, even with losing Sherman, even with losing Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, and then potentially not even getting Cam Chancellor cleared next year and being reliant on Earl Thomas to hold this entire back end together and just losing Jimmy Graham. He's gone. They basically uh, spelled out that he will not be back in Seattle. He's going to cost too much. And then you're not going to get Paul Richardson back. It looks like, like it's just, they've lost so many guys and they have not filled this cupboard up behind them. So it's just, it's barren. And the fact Russell Wilson's going to like, if they win, I'm going to say if they win like nine games next year. Russell Wilson is my MVP pick. <laughs> like he is, if he gets nine wins out of this roster, he should be MVP. Which is completely fair. Like he was, he was lights out last season. Like he had, 
like he really kind of like he really really improved what he did to the point where it's like it, it looked like you were watching like Aaron Rodgers in his prime. It was yeah. it was insane, but it, I think it, it really goes to show you how important the quarterback uh, the quarterback is to your team. Like I really think that's the one position where like that one dude can be the difference between eight wins across the whole season. Like it's, it really is that important, especially when you have a guy um, as talented as Wilson. Yeah. How do you think Sherman will fare in San Francisco? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I can't quite tell with the, with a guy like Sherman. So he has not like, um, he's not really relied on his speed throughout his whole NFL career. So like, you know, there's, there's always a possibility that, you know, if the knee slows him down, well, that wasn't like the biggest component to him. It's not like a speed guy who, as soon as that speed's gone, he doesn't have anything else um, in his arsenal. Like, I, I think he'll be, well, he's still coming back from that injury. I think that's going to be a tough comeback. I think he'll have a decent enough year, um, assuming he's healthy, but I'm not, I'm not expecting, um, I'm not expecting him to be like, you know, top three quarterback or anything. Okay. I I have some questions. Like torn Achilles are just bad. I don't know if I'm just like kind of jaded or biased because of what I've seen in the NBA and what it does to guys like Wesley Matthews and Kobe and just how devastating it is for NBA guys and we'll see what happens to Marcus Cousins, but yeah, I just we'll see. Sherman's awesome and he's been awesome for the last five years and I'm rooting for him. I think it's going to be really fun. I can't wait for the first Sunday night football matchup between the 49ers and the Seahawks. Oh, that's going to be good. Great. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited. I, w- I will say that uh, I think Joe Thomas said earlier on, he, he's got a podcast with uh, Andrew Hawkins, a former uh, oh, Browns wide receiver. My Twitter account. I believe he follows me. I like Andrew Hawkins. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, good dude. But um, I think he mentioned, uh, specifically when talking about Sherman, that um, that Achilles injury, it takes about a year to where you can get back to playing. But he said it's really two years until you're back up to full speed. Hmm. So that's... That's not that's good. What, no, no, it's it, it's not. So, um, oh man, that injury happened late too. So, um, you know, I, I feel like there's a possibility that he, um, you know, he, he could start on the... Um, physically unable to perform list. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it could be one of those, like he misses the first six weeks or something of the year. And then he's kind of, he's kind of back, but like clearly not quite there. And it'd be, um, you know, if San Francisco keeps him another year. I think that would be when he's able to kind of return to form. We'll see. I'm, I'm rooting for him. So either way, Jimmy G versus Russell Wilson is going to be must see TV this fall. Can't wait. Oh, absolutely. Um, the Rams. The other NFC West team that we're not talking about, they cut Tremaine Johnson, or he's getting released or whatever. He's not going to be back. So Falcons take note. That dude's awesome, and they can't afford him, but it would be great. And uh, they traded Robert Quinn, who we didn't even mention, to the Dolphins because the Dolphins continue to just baffle everybody. And then they trade for Akib Tlaib and Marcus Peters like it's no big deal. I, it's It's really interesting. This defense is stacked. This offense is stacked outside of their quarterback, who is fine, serviceable, but let's take it easy with the golf stuff. Like Todd Gurley was ridiculous for this team last year. We'll see what happens with Sammy Watkins. And I'm still a little bit concerned about their pass catchers. I mean, Cooper Cup was an absolute 
amazing pick for them uh, this past year, but we'll see what happens with the rest of that group. I I really like what they've done, but I think it's going to be very hard for them to repeat just how good they were last year, especially offensively. I think there's a strong possibility that their defense makes significant strides because their defense struggled and gave up a lot of points last year. And I could see next year, 2018, being the reverse where the Rams defense is really good. Wade Phillips is awesome. And Tlaib and Peters just lock down everybody. And Goff has a slump. And I could see teams figuring... I shouldn't say figuring out, but I could just see this offense slowing down and not being as dominant and as terrifying as it was a year ago. Um, I think I'm still higher on the 49ers. I think the 49ers are my NFC West pick next year. I think it's going to be very hard for them to go back to back the Rams um, in that playoff chase. I, I think it's going to be tough, but we'll see. Well, man, that's bold. San Francisco. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't lost an NFL game yet. We need to go ahead and say that. He has not lost an NFL game yet. Here's, here's what happens every single year with quarterbacks. Um, so, so you can have a guy like, uh, you can have Dak Prescott uh-huh. have a really good rookie year. Oh, no. And everyone talks him up into something insane. Like, a, the quarterback is an almost impossible position to play. And, like, these guys take years and years and years to get up to where they're finally, like, above average. But, I mean, you've got a lot of, like, ups and downs in between there. So, um, obviously, Garoppolo looked awesome last year. But I, I think you're going to have... Did you see that uh, comeback think... against the Titans? What he did to the Titans is illegal in 13 states. <laughs> uh, I did not see that, to be honest I watched with the entire... Like, I, I have been on the Jimmy G thing and the... I mean... You should have seen this coming, Matt. As oh, a yeah. Kyle Shanahan early disciple, he's my number one potential podcast guest. Like, if I can ever get Kyle on, it will be the biggest day for this podcast. And I don't know how it will go because I don't know if I'll be able to, like, control myself and just to not um, be, just be ridiculous towards him. But I believe in this group. Jimmy Garoppolo is just insanely good. I like, and I think. He is already a top 10 quarterback. And I think Dak Prescott is too. And I think I feel bad for Prescott because a lot of the problems with Dallas last year was not Prescott's fault. And if you watched a lot of Cowboys games last year, I don't know how you could come away. Like Dak made this huge regression. and He's not still a really good quarterback for that team because he's still really great. And I still think he's going to be really good for a long time, but I still like Jimmy Garoppolo a lot more. And I, did he go six and zero down the stretch? I feel like it was something. It may have been more than that. Maybe it was, I think it was six and zero. But either way, it, it was something absurd. I mean, I, I will say I watched enough Dak Prescott to realize he's not quite yet a top ten quarterback. I think he'll get there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my same. Uh, I'm gonna stick with my same. Just you know, being conservative on, on quarterbacks and say Jimmy Garoppolo. He's gonna he's gonna have some bad games. He's gonna have some stretches, and I think uh, you know, coaches in the NFC West are gonna finally have a lot more. Um, you know, tape on Kyle Shanahan's offense and what he's, what he's going to do. So, I mean, you can't just, uh, I I, I feel like it's unlikely that they're just going to maintain as an elite offense. And I I think things are going to come back down. And I mean, I I, I would expect their offense to be very good, you know, top, uh, top 10, maybe, um, maybe flirting like top five at max, but I'm, I'm just not, 
I'm just not sold on it as a long term um, as a long term solution as of yet. I mean, San Francisco. Oh my god, still... you're not sold on at least the offense, the Garoppolo Shanahan combination. You're not sold. What more do you need? They still, you know, they they still need to add a bunch of talent. And uh, you know what we saw in Shanahan's first year, like he was able to put up uh, like six great games with a very talented offense, and then the offense fell the hell apart. Um, I, I I just I just think. Footballs, it's it's a lot more. Um, I don't know. It's it's a lot more inconsistent. And I think uh, you know. I I think at some point we're gonna um, see that. Feel free to bring me on if I'm totally wrong. And oh, Jimmy I Garoppolo will be bringing just... you on because this has to do with Kyle Shanahan. I wasn't gonna do that for anybody else, but because you are still doubting Kyle Shanahan in March of 2018, I will gladly bring you back on when the Warriors <laughs> win 10 games next year and are representing the NFC West in the playoffs as their uh nfc winner yeah he's absolutely good i'm I'm, I'm not taking that away from him i i think it's just a little bit uh i think it's a little bit too early to crown it's not (laughs) kyle shanahan and jimmy garoppolo as uh you know some of the very best in the league okay i i will say the nfc west doesn't have a bad defense in it like pete Carroll obviously is a great defensive mind and their defense is still going to be even if it does take a step back which it will I still could see like it being a top 15 unit. Steve Wilkes was amazing with what he did with Carolina this past year. And I think the Cardinals will have a very good defense at the very least next year. And then obviously the Rams just acquiring Tlaib and Peters. Um, they're going to be really good defensively because Wade Phillips is also awesome. So they're going to have their work cut out for him. I would agree, but uh, I I'm very high on the Shanahan Garoppolo combination. So I, I think it's going to happen. And then, you know, maybe Kirk Cousins goes to Arizona and this division just is absolutely insane next year. And it's like the NFC South this past year where, like, we really have no idea what to make of all four teams. And all four teams could realistically win the division. Yeah, f- uh, fair enough. I think they're I think they're going to stay super competitive. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Matt, do you have anything coming out on the Falcoholic this week that we should uh, look out for? That you should look out for probably not I'll, I'll have some uh i'll have some stuff right now where um we're watching free agency pretty closely um so obviously we are in the quote unquote legal tampering period mm-hmm. um that's gonna um end on wednesday and teams are gonna be finally allowed to officially sign guys that they probably you know had a not in a wink agreement like three weeks ago for but um you know we're, we're just kind of wondering what uh atlanta's gonna do so we're covering um all their interests so far it seems to be um actually let me make sure we have not had anyone else pop up during this uh podcast no i'm not seeing any new interests it's just often <laughs> safarian jenkins um he'd actually be uh, really fun on this offense now i'd like him in atlanta I think so. So he he played with Steve, or he played under Steve Sarkisian in uh, Washington, mm-hmm. right? I think three years, and um, you know, he, I like that. That he was, was good uh, last year. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he was. I mean, he he. It's kind of funny if you look at his career. He has not had a quarterback ever. Yeah. So like you know he he has these stretches where he will look like a just elite tight end and then he just kind of goes dark because you've got um you know because you're part of the jets and that's just sort of what happens with the jets but um yeah you know he he played he played for sarkisian he was definitely sarkisian's like best um i think best player during his time at uh 
at Washington, and you've had two you've had two different teams link him, or sorry, two different sources link him to Atlanta. And if you have been on the Falcoholics today, you'll notice that we checked out Austin Safarian Jenkins' Instagram page, where he told someone he would love to come to Atlanta. I think he called it a reunion, obviously talking about Sarkeesian, and said mm-hmm. something like, "Hey, let's go win a Super Bowl." Which seemed pretty cool. So uh, he he seems at least uh, amenable to signing with Atlanta. I think you, I think you put him and Austin Hooper as kind of like a one A, one B tight end group where you can really kind of work two tight ends as realistic um, receiving options. And I think that I think that would do a hell of a job opening up the offense. But what would that mean for Tololo's role in the offense? Uh, he got cut last week, so it's probably not going to change. I re- I will never forget the uh, he could be Tony Gonzalez right after Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> was, I, I I'm still I'm still mad about that pick because mm. number one if if you remember way back when um, Toilolo was the backup at Stanford mm-hmm. he had he had not played much his numbers were not good uh, he went to the combine and those numbers were very bad and then they took him in like the fourth round and. And then Everyone like, was just like, gotta, re- let's just keep throwing stuff at the wall. Let's take another Stanford tight end. And Hooper actually worked out. But yeah, what is their fascination with Stanford tight ends? Uh, I don't know. I feel like Stanford has put out some good tight ends, but uh, Toilolo was not one of them. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. And we can find you on Twitter where you're trolling Saints fans. You're trolling basically everybody at this point at Falcoholic Matt. And we can read you on the Falcoholic.com where uh, you are currently, as you said, undergoing Austin Safarian Jenkins watch. So um, do all that and look out for all your great work over this week. I really appreciate you taking the time, Matt. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. All right, we'll have to do this again soon when uh, Kyle Shannon wins 10 games and Steve Sarkeesian is no longer the Falcons offensive coordinator. So we'll touch base in like six Like 2022? (laughs) sure all right matt and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast or itunes i would really appreciate if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener remember you can find the show on spotify TuneIn radio soundcloud stitcher google play or wherever else you get your podcasts uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.